is the 77 WABC minicast. Rita, I understand... uh... Uh, Professor Dershowitz is on. Yep, we have Professor Alan Dershowitz. And uh, Professor Dershowitz, first of all, of course, I love your book, War Against the Jews. It is so important right now. And uh, you wrote a really powerful column about going after Iran, time to go after Iran. Uh, Your thoughts about that? Iran is the most dangerous country in the world uh, today. It is the equivalent of um, uh, Nazi Germany in the 1930s. And if the uh, British and the French had stopped Nazi Germany in 1933, 34, 35, 50 million people wouldn't have been killed. And the idea of a nuclear arsenal in the hands of Iran is so unthinkable that we have to do something to stop that now. Iran has declared war on the United States. It has attacked American diplomats. Going back in time, it attacked American marine bases. We have been the victim of Iran, and we're enriching them, and we're allowing them to become the greatest exporter of terrorism in the world. Israel as well has been – Iran has declared war against Israel through its proxies. Obviously, Hezbollah and the, uh, the, the, the Yemenites and, the, uh, and, and Hamas, and uh, it's time to, to, to stop Iran to cut off the head of the snake. And are, are you saying us or are you saying Israel? Because because well, I don't see the will from us by this administration. Well, then it has to change because we have to have the will to do it together or each of us separately or in coordination. Well, so, and the Western world needs to stop Iran. Uh, China has threatened as well. Yeah. China today, I understand, has threatened the United States or threatened in general that if, if, if we continue... Uh, to go against the hoodies, that they're going to get involved. Well, how many you know, you countries? How, how many countries have to be involved before you call it a world war, Professor? Well, yeah, it's already on the verge of that. Um, we already have multiple countries involved. We have the real prospects for possible peace um, in the Middle East. The Saudis want to make peace with Israel. Uh, it's only the Iranians. They are the villains of the world today. Now. Of course, they're working together with China, and perhaps they're working together with uh, Russia as well. And, you know, the world is dividing into two camps, much the way it did in World War I and World War II. Um, the good camp, obviously, are the United States and uh, NATO, not all of NATO, not Turkey, and um, um, uh, some countries in the Middle East, uh, like those that were involved in the Abraham Accords. And the bad countries are Iran, Russia, China, uh, and and some other countries as well. And and, and we have to do whatever we can to prevent, obviously, uh, a world war, particularly against nuclear uh, adversaries. But if we allow Iran to develop a nuclear arsenal, Mm -hmm. it will change everything. They will have an umbrella under which to operate their terrorism. So, Professor, why... Did Biden loosen the sanctions, the tough sanctions that the Trump administration had on Iran and letting them produce and sell the amount of oil they're producing and the billions of dollars that they're using for terrorism around the Mideast? It's the fault of two people, both of whom are friends of mine, who I know well, uh, Barack Obama and uh, and um, uh, John Kerry. Uh, John Kerry was basically uh, Iran's ambassador to the United States. And he did everything in his power 
to uh, help strengthen Iran. And it was a terrible mistake under the Obama administration, and it continues under this administration. And it has to stop. We have to understand that Iran is public enemy number one. Um, We have uh, Governor David Patterson. Go ahead. Well, uh, good afternoon, Alan. Uh, I wanted to ask you this. On October 7th, after the attack by Hamas, if Israel and the United States, knowing full well that Hamas the Houthis, and, of course, Hezbollah are really just subsidiaries of Iran, who's very friendly with China and Russia, and they weren't going to do anything to stop them. If there had been a stronger attack in response in the shortest period of time, you don't wait two weeks to respond, which is basically what happened. And by then you have all these uh, anti, um, you know, um, Israel protests going on. I think that Russia and China would blink. I know I agree with you. And by the way, at the demonstrations in front of the Sloan Kettering Hospital, when they announced that an Iranian missile had attacked right next to the American embassy, people cheered. People in these demonstrations, these are neo-Nazi demonstrators. These demonstrators support Iran over the United States. They are rooting for our enemies. And, and we're not doing anything. This administration could clamp down and say, and, and I, I know it's a free speech issue, but it's also a hate speech. And when you're destroying property and you're walking into a cancer center, my goodness. Look, I agree. And there's a big difference between what may be legally permissible, like the Nazis marching through Skokie, and what is morally acceptable. And these demonstrations are not morally acceptable. And some of them go over the line legally. And are not protected by the First Amendment. Uh, sitting in on the Capitol is not protected by the First Amendment. Alice. Shouting, shouting into pediatric wards of a hospital may not be constitutionally protected. Alan, Richard Weinberg, let me ask you this. Why are Biden and Blinken so obsessed with pushing the so-called two-state solution when the only result is going to be is giving them a camp for further terrorist acts against Israel? Well, Right now, only uh, the the Biden and Blinken administration is saying, don't prevent a possible pathway to the two-state solution. Nobody thinks that a two-state solution is possible now with Hamas still in control of of Gaza. Is it a possibility down the line? It may be the least worst solution to an otherwise insoluble problem. But I think what the Biden administration is saying is – don't cut it off. Maybe that will help you get peace with the, with the, the Saudis. And then we'll see. I mean, it's too early to determine whether or not there's any possible solution other than a military one to the attacks on Israel. Well, don't, those people only understand one thing is strength. Yeah. You know, I, if I you show weakness, they'll, they'll be attacking you every day. Yeah. And in fact, yeah. by the way, uh, did you see this, Professor Dershowitz? This was stunning. President Biden was asked a little bit ago... Do you think these strikes on the Iranian-backed Houthis in Yemen, which keep firing on U.S. facilities all over the place, are they working? A a normal president would say, "Uh, yeah, or I hope so. His answer was no. He absolutely said no on camera. No, they're not working. We're going to have to do more of them. That just shows he even but but he even knows that they're not working. Yeah, no, I agree with him. I don't think they're working. They have pinpricks. Yeah, I don't think his strategy's working. (laughs) I agree with you. We need a massive attack on Iran's capacity 
to promote terrorism in the region and certainly to develop a nuclear arsenal. Iran with a nuclear arsenal will be as dangerous as Nazi Germany was in 1939. Professor Ed Coxer, I don't understand why if you, you, the worst way to show weakness is to go tit for tat with a bunch of re- Houthi rebels. I agree with you. And, and, and not completely – And when Iran is the real enemy, that is showing weakness. And it's a draw. It's a tit for tat. That yeah, does and that's not why make it looks stupid. Draw, it makes yes. us look stupid. Draw yes. is always a win for the non-superpower. When a superpower draws with a bunch of thugs, who wins? The thugs win. The thugs win. And that's why Israel can't allow a draw with Hamas. It can't allow a ceasefire. It has to beat them. A draw is a defeat when it comes to Israel, to the United States, and to uh, other strong militaries. Um, Professor Alan Dershowitz, um, I want to also, um, on the topic, we were talking about anti-Semitism. There have been a couple cases late where Jewish students have been filing mm. anti-Semitism claims Good. against some of these universities. Harvard, uh, yeah. uh, your alma mater, um, American University. Do they have a case? And, and this could be a big wake-up call to universities that they're going to take legal action. Yeah, I'm on their side. <clears throat> and I've indicated a willingness to be a whistleblower against Harvard and to testify against Harvard. I know where the bodies are buried. I've been there 60 years. I probably know as much as anybody about how Harvard operates, and I'm prepared to testify uh, about Harvard's sordid history in relation to its double standard. I think these lawsuits can succeed. I think also the lawsuits can help stimulate the Department of Education to um, restrict funding of these universities. These universities, many of them, even Harvard, couldn't really survive without federal funding, even with its $50 billion. It needs the federal funding. And if it doesn't start doing things, and now Yale is considering uh, as its new president, a woman who was a colleague of mine at Harvard for many years as a professor and is now the dean of uh, Yale Law School, who has a very mixed record when it comes to issues like this. And so I think people have to begin to focus on who the next presidents will be of Yale and Harvard and these other major institutions that produce our future leaders. Wait, that's really interesting. We're all shaking our heads right what now. Arrogance. Yes. I mean, Ed and I are going, are you kidding me? That that the new person after all of this, I, I mean, doesn't that astound you that they would it even consider somebody? Me. Yeah. And they haven't learned their lesson. And if they pick somebody who is a DEI, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion person, and and this dean, who I know well, uh, was one of those who started to discipline a student because he may have used the wrong word about a party. And uh, she claims to, you know, be a supporter of, of DEI, which is censorship and uh, and uh, denial of due process. So, again, I think we need somebody who is a strong civil libertarian who believes in the missions of a university, meritocracy, due process free speech, not somebody who is going to do what President Gay did for the few months that she was at Harvard. To have a repetition of President Gay at Yale uh, would be be a a disaster. You know, I went to Yale and I teach at Harvard. So I have great concerns for both of those institutions. Uh, Governor Patterson. Uh, You know, Alan, uh, the DEI is... um uh, is has had its day. The new term is diversity, inclusion, and belonging. So no. that because you can't assume that everybody, that every student, that there should be equity about everything. In other words, it's almost a socialist term. But the question I wanted to ask you is when you 
consider what's going on now, it sort of reminds me of how the colleges and universities treated African-Americans in the 40s. It's just I a different group. And, and treated Jews in the 20s and 30s. And, by the way, treated ethnic Catholics in the 60s. When I got to Harvard, the most discriminated group at Harvard were Italian-Americans and Irish-Americans. They couldn't get into Harvard. They couldn't teach at Harvard. And I led the campaign to fight against that kind of a bigotry and exclusion. You know, the Brahmins at Harvard, their greatest fear was that Irish-Americans, Italian-Americans would take over the university. Yep. And uh, that, was a, a, that, that was the kind of bigotry that was the focus of Harvard in the 1960s when I got there, and I fought against it. Well, bravo for uh, keeping up the fight and letting us know about all this. Professor Alan Dershowitz, thank you so much. Against The book is called War Against the Jews, and boy, it couldn't be more timely. Thank you, Professor. Thank you so much for having me.